that, that cost up front. But you have to understand that those who have chosen Christ have found a treasure that cannot be contained by human temples and bronze altars. It cannot be won through mere human priests. And it cannot be earned through rituals and the eating of certain foods. You see, we please God not by a system of priests and laws and temples, but by God's grace through faith when we come to Him and recognize the incredible gift that He's given to us on the cross. When your faith is in Him and Him alone, His grace is poured out on you and salvation is received. And as a result of that free gift that He's given to us in Christ, we live out this life of thanksgiving. We live out this life of, of wanting to please Him and obey Him because of what He has done in our lives. And so God is pleased through our, faith, through our praise and through our good deeds and through our service to others in this life. Before we move on to the third principle, allow me just a moment to reflect on this picture that he uses of going outside the camp though. Uh, again, he, he commanded the Hebrews to let us go to him outside the, ga- uh, the, the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The people he was writing to were tempted again. They were tempted to go back where? To Jerusalem. To go back to that temple. To go back inside the gate and the system that it offered. Something that could never compare to the riches that they had in Jesus. And so going outside the camp, it's a metaphor, it's a picture that he's using. Of It was a call to abandon it all and to embrace Jesus. It was a call to abandon the idea that, you, that they were identifying themselves with Jerusalem but instead, they are identifying themselves with Jesus and the sacrifice that He made. And so allow me first to express just a little bit of what this means for us today. How do we identify with Christ? How do we do this? First, it means that we embrace the sacrifice that He made for us. If you've not yet received the mercy that He's offered to you on the basis of the sacrifice that He made in His death and the victory that He accomplished by His resurrection, then my friend, you are still in your sins. And you are still subject, a subject of God's wrath. Faith means that you turn from your sin and you turn from all the other ways that you're trying to accomplish and prove your worth to God. To show Him that you're worthy of His grace in some way. And He says to us that you can't. You can't be saved by your works. Your works will never be enough. They will never get you that far. Instead, embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers you by His grace. Believe in Him and rest your salvation alone in what He accomplished for you. Secondly, though, one of the first acts of obedience that a new Christian is called to as we express our gratitude for His grace, one of our first acts of obedience to identify ourselves with Jesus is baptism. You see, baptism is an outward expression of eternal realities. And Jesus commanded us. He commanded Christians to follow Him in this. Baptism is an outward declaration of the faith that that is in our heart. And it is a Christian telling the whole world, I'm a follower of Jesus. My life is now identified with Him. And to refuse obedience in this matter is like a bride saying, I love you and I'm yours but I refuse to identify myself with you. I I refuse to wear this ring that says we belong to one another. 
To refuse obedience in this matter is like Jesus is, is like saying, Jesus, thanks for sacrificing everything for me, but I'm going to follow you on, on my terms. How can we expect to walk by faith if we are refusing to obey Him in one of the very first steps that He calls to in identifying ourselves with Him in front of the world? I was baptized when I was a few weeks old. Maybe a few months old. I don't remember exactly. I was there, but I was pretty oblivious to it all. My parents made that decision for me based on the traditions of their church at that time. But then at the age of seven or eight, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I recognized that my heart was filled with anger and wrath and rage. I was a hateful person going down a very dark path. But I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and He had mercy on me. He forgave my sin. He transformed my heart. And then a bit later, I, I followed Him in obedience by being baptized as a believer. It was a step of obedience in which I declared to the world, I identify with the One that was crucified on the cross. I belong to Him. And my life is in Him. There are a lot of people around the world that recognize the importance of baptism. And they become followers of Jesus Christ. And their families are okay with some of that. And they'll accept some of that. Some of these people live in places in the world where you know, this Christianity is not accepted, but as long as you're not baptized and identify with Jesus, then we can still accept you. But some of these people know that the moment that they're baptized, their families will reject them. The moment they identify with Jesus publicly, it, it, some, for some of them, it means a death sentence. And they know that their life expectancy is less than five years from that point. People all over the world. But they recognize the importance of what He has commanded us. And, and my challenge to you is that if you haven't followed Him in obedience here, it's important. And He calls us to identify ourselves with Him. In the context of our passage today, walking by faith means that we avoid strange teachings and doctrines like these Hebrews were being presented with. And as you interact with those whom God has put in positions of leadership over you, Listen to their sound teaching and obey God's Word. The third principle for those who walk by faith is to obey your leaders and submit to them. Look at the command as it's stated in verse 17. He says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obedience. Submission. Those are not words that are very popular in our culture, are they? <laughs> we do not like those words. But Scripture presents submission as a beautiful concept that honors the structures and the contours of the relationships which God has built into our lives. A few years ago, I was in a hurry to get to my office. And so I rushed out the door. And in my singular focus to get to work, I did something that I very rarely do. I didn't put my seatbelt on. I always put my seatbelt on. But I need to get to work, and for some reason I just flew out the door, I got in my car, and I rushed up the hill. And um, it was only a couple miles. But as I was driving up the hill there in Parachute, Colorado, I, um, I passed a police officer, and I quickly became conscious of the fact that I didn't have my seatbelt on. And then I saw the car's lights go on, and she turned around. And she pulled right behind me and pulled me over right a couple blocks away from the church that I worked at. 
And the officer walked up to my car and she asked me if there was a reason that I was not wearing my seatbelt. I don't know how she saw that I wasn't wearing it from all the way across the road, but she did. And this woman was put in a position of authority over me in that moment. And my job in that moment was to submit to this leader that God had put over me. It meant honesty. It meant integrity and telling the truth. It meant respecting her. It meant obeying whatever the consequences might be. You see, she was enforcing a rule and doing so for the safety of my life. It was for my benefit. We just read Romans 13. It's interesting that in both of these passages, he points out that whether it's your, the rulers, the, the leaders that rule over you in, in government and, and the authorities that you're subject to, or whether it's in church, it's for your benefit. It's for your advantage. And she was doing this for my safety. That, that's part of the contours of that relationship. And, and though submission is not always pleasant, it certainly wasn't in that moment. She was nice. She gave me a warning. It was really nice. It was still uncomfortable. But submission, even though it's sometimes not pleasant, it remains a beautiful concept that God put there for our advantage. Within the Trinity... And you know that within the Trinity, submission takes place and obedience takes place? That God submits to God? Isn't that an interesting concept to consider? Within the Trinity, there are three perfect persons who, who have existed with one another for eternity. There is never a moment in all of eternity where they didn't know each other fully. Where they did not love one another with a love that is beyond anything that we can comprehend. They have known each other perfectly and loved one another perfectly, and it is glorious. Yet even within the Godhead, there is an order to their relationships as God presents it in His Word. Jesus willingly and lovingly submits to the will of His Father, and so does the Spirit. And this obedience that Jesus demonstrated, we watched it as He walked this life, and it's contained in the text of Scripture, and we see how He obeyed His Father throughout His lifetime. And this submission that, that he demonstrated within this perfect relationship is beautiful. And through submission, Jesus, who had never sinned, he honors the structures and the contours of this relationship that he has with his Father. In all human relationships, obedience and submission, uh, they're difficult, aren't they? Why, why is it difficult? Why is it so difficult to, to submit to somebody else? Number one, because of our pride. There's another reason. That person's a sinner. That person makes some big mistakes. This concept of submitting to our parents, submitting to our spouse, oh my goodness. That person sometimes is really... How'd they get it so wrong? It's hard. In all human relationships, obedience and submission are difficult because people sin. Your leaders make mistakes. But, but notice what leaders within the church are called to. They are called to keep watch over your souls. And they will have to give an account. And so God calls us to obey our leaders and submit to them so that the work that they do will be completed with joy for them and for your advantage. Allow me to share two stories with you that demonstrate sometimes when I've seen this done very well. Uh, a few years ago, uh, there's a family in this church that I hurt. Um, as a pastor, I, I allowed myself to 
to get caught up in the busyness of life and work. And what resulted in that circumstance was my negligence in a circumstance when that family was waiting for me. That family needed me to act in a very specific way. They were waiting and longing for their pastor to move forward and regarding to something that was very important to them. And it never came. And I'll tell you what could have happened. This family could have made a huge ruckus. They could have voiced their opinion and their thoughts, and many of them would have been right. Because I had failed. They could have slandered me and told the story of my failure to, the, to be the shepherd that I wasn't being. They could have complained or even just left the church altogether. But instead, I'll tell you what did happen. One of the members of that family came to me after a few months had passed. And they expressed the pain that they felt. You see, I, I had sinned against them by my neglect. And so, in, and so in obedience to what we're supposed to do when someone sins against us, what does Matthew 18 tell us to do? Go and talk to the individual. Go talk to the person. I'm not an exception to that rule. And so this person came and they talked to me and they shared how, the, how, how much it hurt. And they asked why. And, and I didn't have a good reason. And I asked for forgiveness. We wept together that, free, that they freely offered that forgiveness. I called the other person that I had specifically wronged and expressed my sorrow for failing them. There are more tears. And I asked for forgiveness. And the response was at that moment, and I'll never forget the conversation that I had with this person. The response was that the forgiveness had been offered a long time ago. The forgiveness had already happened before I ever asked or even knew that I had wronged him. And I'll tell you what, this kind of submission commends that family for the grace and the love that they demonstrated to a leader in this church. Specifically to me in that instance. You see, <clears throat> submission does not mean that you have no voice. It, it does not mean that those who are submitting are less important or less valuable than the leaders that they obey. It does not mean that those leaders are always right. Again, I guarantee you, we are not. Within the context of this submission, we need accountability. When I stumble and sin, I need my brothers in Christ to demonstrate what we studied last week, to show brotherly love, Philadelphia, to come to me and say, Jeff, this isn't right. We need that accountability. And understand that as your pastor, I, I'm not the guy Jesus is the guy. He's the one that we worship. And so I want you to know that I also am under authority. I am also in a position in which there are leaders in this church that I am called to obey. Not just as my bosses, but as my fellow elders and deacons. I am in submission to them. One more story. Back in 1998, uh, I was in a bad situation. I was working and serving in a church as an assistant pastor, and it became very, very quickly apparent that, that I was not going to be able to continue serving at that church, uh, not in good conscience or, and not without probably causing a church split. And so in the autumn of 1998, I had an interview with, um, with the elders of a church back in Colorado. It happened to be the church where my, my in-laws went to. That's how we made contact. 
And I, I really wanted that position. I, the more I got to know this church, the more I got to know its leaders, the more I, I went, wow, this is really where I want to be. This is a good fit. And um, the elders and the pastor of that church really wanted me, me to serve as their, their youth pastor. Uh, we went through the process, went through the interviews, the phone calls, uh, traveling to Colorado to visit personally, and they decided to move forward. But they expressed that there was only one more step before they could officially offer me the position. They needed to tell the church. They needed to go to the church and tell the church what they were doing and provide the church with two weeks to pray and two weeks to provide feedback. And so the leadership of this church did that. Two weeks later, I received a phone call. It was a long two weeks. And then it finally came and the pastor expressed his regret and he apologized as we can't move forward. You see, separately and independently of one another, the members of that church, several members of that church body, they wrote letters to their elders. They, they called and expressed that they, that they would support the leadership in whatever decision that they made. And whatever decision they believed was right, said, we'll, we'll back you up on this. We'll submit to the leadership that God's put over us. But independently, each of those letters and each of those phone calls, they asked and said to the elders, is the timing right? And we're in the middle of a building project. We're building a new church up on the hill. And uh, the timing of this, just this is a huge commitment we're the, that we're making. We're already committed to uh, several hundred thousand dollars in a building project. Should we be adding on another staff member? However, if the elders decided that this was the right course of action, they said, they expressed that they would stand by what the elders chose to do. Now, I was disappointed. Okay, don't get me wrong. I really was hoping for that position at that time. But I was astounded by the beauty of what happened next. You see, the elders expressed to me that, that God had chosen leaders within the church to make decisions such as this. In that particular church, it was the elders that were, were called to make those decisions, uh, as it is in ours. But, 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 that, but that it is just as important for the elders of the church to listen to the church body. And Pastor Mark, I'll never forget, he expressed, he says, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit works through the people in the congregation in a way that their collective counsel or even their individual counsel and the voices of the people of the church, God gives us very clear direction of where we need to go next. And they believed in that, in that instance that the Spirit was doing just that. And so two months later, I resigned my position. I, I went to work at Village Inn. Angie and I moved in with my in-laws. Uh, and our two little boys, and we moved in uh, for just a few months, and then we started to serve in that church because, my, again, my in-laws were going there, and so we were in that area, and we decided we're just going to get involved. We're just going to use the gifts that God gives, has given to us, and so we started serving. And then in the next year, someone in the church came forward and asked, you know, if the church could hire me part-time, part um, their family would provide a house for us to live in, and, and so the church wouldn't take on any other financial obligations. And so the elders decided to move forward. After another year, we completed the building project and the elders once again presented the idea to hire me full-time. And this time the church was in agreement. It was a long process, but to this day, I still marvel at the beauty of the relationships and the submission and the obedience that took place there. The way that the leaders and the people in the congregation worked together in that. You see, they recognized the contours of that relationship and, and how God had designed it. 
And I marvel at the beauty of a congregation who submitted to the leaders that God had put over them, even as they expressed their thoughts with a spirit of grace. This is how God intends for it to be. It brings joy to those who lead and great advantage to us all. And just one quick point of application for our congregation. Our elders and our deacons and pastors are currently going through the process of approving new elders and deacons for 2023. We have a recommendation committee and nomination committee that has uh, put some names forth. Those nominees have been asked to pray about whether the Lord would lead them to accept those roles. In a few weeks, uh, the leadership uh, will present those names of those that said yes, they're willing to do so, and, and we're going to put that out there for your consideration. And, and we'll make the, a final decision together at our annual meeting. This is a part of the, the voice that you have and the opportunity that you have to make sure that those that we put in those positions of leadership, those that we put in a position where we say, I'm going to submit to your leadership here, it, it's a way of us saying, I'm going to make sure that the person that I put there is a godly person who loves the Lord, who is going to teach God's Word, who is going to follow God's Word. It's a part of the voice that you and I have, the opportunity that we have to make sure that the leaders which we choose for tomorrow are the kinds of leaders that God describes in His Word. Men who are above reproach and of godly character that will lead in the way that God commands. And so I just want to encourage you to be a part of that process. It's important. There's a fourth principle for those who walk by faith as it relates to our leaders, and this is to pray for your leaders. Look at verses 18 through 19. He says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. In this particular instance, in which the author of Hebrews was writing to this, this church, again, that was probably in Rome. Uh, he was asking for prayers for himself and for some of his co-workers in the Gospel. Probably including Timothy, who he's going to mention in the next week's passage. The way that he speaks, it appears that the author of Hebrews himself was probably undergoing persecution. Most likely, he was probably imprisoned or under house arrest in some way. Not because of something that he had done. Not because of some law that he had broke or wrongdoing, but because of his faith. And his desire was to be restored to this congregation as soon as possible. To be able to come and visit them. To preach. To, to be a part of their life. And so his command to pray for them is fitting in this context of a passage about leadership and our responses to it. Your leaders are mortal men. We, we lack the power to accomplish God's work. We lack the wisdom to serve in the roles that we have been entrusted. We lack the strength to endure through these tasks. But we all know that we serve a God, our Father in Heaven, who is able to help us do what He's commanded us to accomplish. This Jesus, who is greater than everything else, is the source of all wisdom and will grant wisdom to us to lead in a way that is fitting and godly. And the Holy Spirit strengthens us so that we may complete every good work. And He is a God who acts. And He is a God who moves in accord with people when they pray. And I'll be honest with you. I've said it before. I, I don't know how it works. I, I don't get it. How do, how do you take the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and 
blend that together in some beautiful way. How do you take a, a, a God who calls us to obedience and, and who moves and works in our lives, and, and how does He interact with our prayers and accomplish His purposes? How, how does all that mesh together? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? I, I don't know. I, I don't know the intricacies of it. And the beauty, beauty of it is, is I don't have to know. God tells me that He answers our prayers, and God tells me that He's sovereign. These are questions with complex answers that I can only fathom the, the surface of. But I know this. We are commanded to be people who pray. We need to pray for our leaders. Not only our church leaders, but all kings and, and those who are in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives. First Timothy. We're invited to pray. In the book of Hebrews, we've been told how our Savior has torn down the curtain. He's broken down the walls of our sin and the, the requirements of the law. And He has paved a way not to walk into some temple in Jerusalem, to, but to walk into the very presence of our God, the temple in heaven where we can walk right into His throne room and come to our Father and talk to Him like we're talking to one another today. Like you would to your dad. As you walk into his office and say, Dad, I have a question for you. Dad, would you do this for me? We've been invited to pray and make requests on behalf of one another before his very throne. So please pray for us. Pray, pray for me as your pastor. Pray for your elders, both the elders in 2022 and perhaps the new elders that might come on in 2023. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your teachers. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength and courage. Pray that we would love our Lord more than anything else in life. Pray that we would love God's Word and be men of God's Word. Pray that we would love people. Pray that we would be kept from the snares of the evil one and pray that we would be enabled to lead and teach well so that we may do so in a way that we are keeping watch over your souls and so that you may receive every advantage from the work that he's entrusted to us. Father in heaven, we, we love you. We thank you for your instructions here. We thank you for passages like this that at first glance seem to be a little confusing and all over the place, but the closer we look, the, the more of a tapestry we see how it's all woven together. We thank You for patterns for how You've called us to live in the midst of our leaders. To love them. To obey them. To honor them. To pray for them. To remember and imitate them. We thank You for the example that Jesus sets. We thank You for the example of those many men and women of faith who have come before us. Father, it is our prayer that You would give us the strength to obey Your Word today, to walk in obedience because of the great grace You have poured out on us. And so this morning we thank You. We identify ourselves with Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. As we walk out from this building, it's You that we serve. Amen.